The book of Isaiah, starting in chapter 5. So God starts out with a parable. A couple things to keep in mind. He set up Adam and Eve in a garden to take care of a garden, right? So that's very similar to his position of himself tending a garden. So he says, I tended this garden, but it did not produce the proper fruit. I've done everything I can do, and it's still not producing fruit. What do you expect me to do? I'm probably, I'm not going to keep tending a garden that doesn't, or a vineyard that doesn't produce fruit, right? And so basically saying, you, Israel, are my vineyard. I've lovingly cared for you. I've done, when I, when I see things that I see it's not producing fruit or you're not producing fruit, I, I make corrections. In other words, I send a prophet to, to warn you, to turn you. I do everything I can. I gave you the law to, to point you to me. I, I keep doing everything, but you keep turning away from me. Do you expect me to keep tending my garden when it produces no fruit? He's basically saying if you had a garden that produced no fruit or you had a vineyard that produced no fruit, you wouldn't keep taking care of the vines if year after year <laughs> you got no grapes out of it. You, you just wouldn't do that. You'd start over, right? And so that's the parable. And then he goes on to detail and says, you know, out of this huge garden, there's this tiny amount of fruit. So there's some good coming out, but for the most part, you're all going astray. And then he starts listing different ways, some different examples, how some are going astray. And obviously, going out and getting drunk all the time is a sin, but but it also implies more than just alcohol. It implies, um, uh, do, you know, spiritually confusing ourselves, uh, distracting ourselves from the, the true life. You know, if you're drunk, you're not all there in reality. You're kind of off into a, a drunken state. And so he's basically saying, I'm offering you true life, but you're not entering that state. You're entering your own drunken with air quotes state 13 is an often quoted verse therefore my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge so he says look because of all this you're you're going to be humbled i'm going to judge you and then i will be exalted you will finally see my holiness my righteousness strangers are going to come in and eat from your land Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is, uh, you know, this is becoming very common in the world today. And woe unto us all who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Is this not what we see all around us? Heroes in drinking wine, valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe, and take away the right of the ones who are in the right. (laughs) 26 says, he will lift up a standard to the distant nation. In in context, I think he means he's bringing a nation to destroy this nation, which of course he does. Um, And, you know, he uses such things. Again, if his garden is not producing fruit, he will start over. Um, But it also could imply, we could look at it like a distant nation, a distant kingdom, that he will raise up his banner, uh, and and he will start over. And uh, and then that's kind of all I have for this chapter. We move on to chapter 6. I love, there's only a few handful of uh, of visions 
in the Lord's throne room. Paul had one. I wish he would have uh, told us more about it. He, I mean, who knows? He may have had more than one, but he, I, he didn't even say it was him, but I think it was clearly himself he was talking about. But here we have one, and so just a picture of, of the throne room. So now King Uzziah is, is dead. This was the cousin of Isaiah. And, um, and so his son will become king. And, uh, well, I, his son had sort of been acting like king anyways, but that is sort of irrelevant. And, and now he's, it's just nice. Isaiah's kind of telling us this is when this happened. I have a friend who meditated on, on the, I don't know if it was necessarily this, I think he was using the version of Revelation, but I don't know that that matters, uh, but he meditated on this so long and, and prayed into this so long that, that he saw that he was basically kind of taken into this this place, he, you know, he had a vision of this throne room. Um, uh, I, you can glean a lot from from reading it and seeing it, but but I'll just say that it was so you know holy. The word holy gets thrown around a lot, so it kind of loses meaning. But it just holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. There's just an awe when you're that close to him, the awe of who he is and what he's doing, and that you were just in existence and aware of it. You become fully transformed by the fact that he is mighty and powerful and wonderful, and you are getting a glimpse of it. The foundations trembled. The temple was filled with smoke. And what happened to Isaiah? He said, woe is me, for I am ruined. This is, you know, this is the common, when people come close to God like this, they're, they're immediately aware. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Yeah, obviously, this is a pretty holy, righteous guy, we can assume, because God is showing, you know, out of, out of all the however many millions of people, God has chosen Isaiah to share these things with. There's something special about him in God's eyes, right? But as soon as Isaiah is, is in the throne room with God, he realizes, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He immediately realizes how sinful he is, how much his life misses the mark of God when he comes close to him. And that's a reality for every one of us. Even Jesus said, Jesus, somebody called Jesus good, and he said, good, there was no one good, only God. But the Lord provided a way. The seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So this is, again, a picture of Christ, that through him we can stand before the Lord as clean because Jesus is clean, and righteous because Jesus was righteous for us. And then we can be transformed to be like him. And then, okay, so he's talking about Jesus. Uh, he's talking about Isaiah here. It's clearly, you know, talking about Isaiah as we get into this next part starting in 8. It's also clearly talking about Jesus, but it's also clearly talking about anyone, any messenger that God sends, any mature son of God. Um, he calls. He's calling out. Who can I send? Who will, 
who will volunteer for this? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And so he says, go and tell the people. So he sends, you have work to do for me. I have cleansed you. And now you're getting the way, my way straight from me. And now take this message to the people. So th- this is the purpose of a mature son of God. To come to know the Father. To be transformed to be like the Father. And then to share what the Father has for others. So that others can come to know him, come to know his ways, and also come to be transformed like him. That some others will want to follow in the same path, but others will at least get closer to him. It's always up to the person. God never forces anyone to do anything. And then this message he gives Isaiah is, uh, is, is often repeated in the New Testament. Uh, you know, maybe not quoted exactly, kind of like I quote, <laughs> but, uh, you know, similar. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Jesus certainly quoted this. Jesus said, hey, God said what what you people would be like, and here it is. You're doing it. Uh, Paul uh, also quoted this. Um, it may be in other scriptures, too. I'm not sure, but at least twice it's quoted in the in the scripture, in the New Testament. Um, and so this is just, look, I, I'm calling to the people, but they're, you know, you don't hear. I'm, I'm speaking to you, but you don't care to listen. Uh, you could see that I'm, I'm at work, but you don't care to open your eyes. Your hearts are not to know me. Your hearts are to go your own way. But if you would return to me, you would be healed. And so Isaiah says, Lord, how long? He answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it and it will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains where it is fell. The holy seed is its stump. So, um, he's saying, look, these people no longer represent me, so I'm going to devastate them. I'm going to pull them far away. Again, this is is back to the vineyard, right? Like, this is the way of God. So you'll see it over and over again in this book and in many other books um, and in our lives. Um, But he says, I will, there is a tenth portion in it. I will again it will again be subject to burning. In other words, it's not necessarily easy for the portion, like the way I think we talked yesterday about a baptism of fire. Like, it will be subject to burning because it has, it, the remnant, us, the people, uh, we we have some of this in us. That has to be burned away so that we can be made holy, just like the, just like the coal uh, earlier that was put on, uh, Isaiah's lips to burn away the sin. Um, the baptism of fire burns away that in, that in us that is uh, not righteous, not pure, not holy, so that we can be made so. And but this stump will remain. So the, the, there's always this. So like a terebinth or oak. I, I heard uh, Emmanuel soon recently talk about the fact that uh, uh, terebinth or oak. This kind of uh, talks about uh, if you look back at life of Abraham and where he set up and um, Hebron. Um, you know the kind of the origins of the people, the man of faith um, that that he would set up under the terebinth and oak, and 
worship the Lord. So you see it's kind of reaching back to that life, the life of pure faith, because uh, he had nothing. He just had to walk in faith. And uh, whereas these people, they had the law, they had all this history, they, you know, they had all, and they still turned away. Abraham just had, uh, I'm hearing God, and everyone else thinks I'm a moron, but I hear God, and so I'm going forward. And, but he, so here he says, like a stump remains. So this talks about the tree's been cut off, but here I have a stump and I will regrow my holy seed from this stump. So I only need a little portion of the people in order to keep my promise made to Abraham, made to everyone else, made to Jesus, made to everyone uh, in order to, to fulfill my purpose in a people. And I will fulfill it and I will remove that portion of the vineyard which is most of it, which doesn't, you know, it's not producing fruit. And then we're on to chapter 7. The, there's major prophets and minor prophets, and I, I think the major prophets are, I think that's what they're called, major prophets, something meaning big and small. Um, I'll use the word major. The, the major prophets, um, I, think, I think, are just Isaiah, Ezekiel, and um, Jeremiah. I don't think Daniel's included in that. Um, and I th- what I've heard, the, the reason they're called that is they just, their writings are way longer than the minor prophets. It's not to mean that they're less, more holy, less holy, any, anything like that. It just means they wrote for a long, generally over long periods of time, over decades, and a lot of words. So their books are long. And, um, but another thing you see, because they are writing over a long period of time, probably that's the reason, um, the, the, it's not just a prophetic work, it's, um, uh, you know, it's kind of, well, here's the history, this is what was going on this time, you know, if you're writing over decades, life's changing, things are happening, and so, um, every now and again, Isaiah tells us, well, here's what was going on in the world at this time, and so that's how chapter 7 starts. And what is going on, you know, we had just seen that, uh, that God had told Isaiah to prophesy coming destruction to Israel. Remember, there's two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. Uh, Isaiah is going to be living in Judah, in Jerusalem, but he, they, you know, they still care about Israel at this point. Uh, well, I mean, it's a different kingdom, but God cares, and so, um, so Isaiah cares, and, but then uh, he, the Arameans are coming against Israel. Ephraim is Israel, and, um, and so then in three, then the Lord said, Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son. I'm sorry. I, again, I'm, I'm doing no research on this. I'm just reading and talking. So I was a little off course there. Uh, the Arameans are with the uh, Israelites. And so King Ahaz and the people of Judah are, are scared that... Um, that uh, they're going to attack and and could you know defeat them and so Isaiah goes to the king on the you know direction of the Lord and says don't worry they're 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 nothing for you to worry about don't put your heart on that or your mind on that he says yes they're planning to attack you but I will not let it succeed and within sixty five years Israel will be shattered it will be no longer a people which we know happens at the hand of the Syrians. And then the Lord speaks to Ahaz, and look at the contemptuousness Ahaz has for the word of the Lord. I mean, it's coming from Israel, I mean, from Isaiah, so 
Maybe he just doesn't think so much of Isaiah. I, I, who knows what is, what's going on in his heart. But the Lord gives him a word through this great prophet Isaiah. And it says, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. He says, you can ask for a really big sign and I will give it to you. And he says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Well, this is the same scripture that Jesus quotes correctly when he's being tempted by Satan after the 40 days. Um, but here Ahaz is presumptuously throwing, around, uh, presumptuously throwing around scripture. It's not in the right context. Um, and so there's a response. Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? He says, I just told you to ask for a sign, and you said no. That's presumptuous. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For behold, the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good. The land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So there's way more to unpack there than, than I can get into in this short talk. But um, Emmanuel means God with us, uh, which is a very similar meaning to Jesus. Um, so, he, he, you know, he's basically saying, predicting the <clears throat> Messiah or Christ or anointed one. But again, this is a picture of the many sons of God as well. Uh, obviously, first and foremost, this is a picture of Jesus to come. Um but it's a, a picture of the promise of God. He's saying, ask for a sign for the goodness of God, that when, you, when there's uh, overwhelming uh, danger, that you're actually going to be fine, that I'm going to take care of you. And because Ahaz doesn't ask a sign, he says, well, this is the sign I'm going to give, and it's of this Messiah. And so that's a sign for all of us that no matter what kind of crazy danger there is in life, that Jesus is the way out of it. He is the way. And again, Jesus is the pattern son for the many sons of God. And so this is a pattern God looks to establish. It says the Lord will bring on days that you have never experienced before. So he's describing really difficult times, but then he says, in the man that is left in my land, there will be abundance of milk produced he will eat curds for everyone that is left within the land will eat curds and honey remember this is um milk and honey that that's the um the promised land what the people of god were told the land god will give them a land of milk and honey that's the promised land so he's saying this is the kingdom this is a kingdom that we talk about um, God's eternal kingdom coming and we live in a time where we get to see this in a way that's never been seen before He's saying, yes, there's destruction all around, but for the people who stick to my way and who are brought up and taught my ways, they will eat of curds and honey. But he says, those places that used to be fruitful for people that were not of my way, those will be brought down. And then we're on to chapter 8. So here uh, the Lord says to Isaiah, um, go ahead and go have a baby. Name your baby this name. And... Before this baby is able to uh, call out my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away by the king of Assyria. 
And so that's what, approximately two years? The Lord just led me to, to this section of the scripture about a week ago. So I, I think this is important in our day as well, this, this timeline, but I, I can't say uh, any more than that. So he said in verse 6, he said, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in resin in the son of Ramalia, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. What he's saying is, instead of just trusting in the Lord and the land that I've given and, and just my provision, you've reached out and tried to, to bring in the protection of these foreign peoples, resin and Ramalia, Therefore, oh, you want foreign peoples? Okay, well, I'll bring the Assyrians in, and then you'll see what it's like to trust in foreign people. Again, this is a picture of people of God today or any day um, looking to things of the world, looking to things that are not the way of God for our wisdom, for our way. And he says, really, that's what you want? Well, I'll, I'll let you have all of it. And he says, look, it's going to sweep even into Judah. So it's not just Israel we're talking about here. It's Judah as well. But it gets to the neck. In other words, it doesn't completely overwhelm. And then look, then we move into talking about, Be broken, O peoples, and be shattered, and give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourself, yet be shattered. Gird yourself, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand. So whatever plans people have, and, and honestly, the leaders of the world are sitting around making plans right now. They are dramatically, they're doing things that have never been done before. And I'm sure they're, I have no doubt they're planning even more stuff that has never been done before. But God says, devise a plan, it will be thwarted. So the ways of man, we're, we're building this giant, sorry, I don't mean to get too financial here, but since that's kind of my, my bag, <laughs> the, the financial world, the, the geopolitical system of the world is building this enormous tower of Babel. Instead of, we left long ago, we left um, basic principles of economics and just everyday wisdom of life and started building this monstrosity of, of a economic financial system. Um, and uh, it's about to come to its end. When the Tower of Babel got too big, God, God brought it down and said, men, are, men again, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, are trying to be like God and so I will humble them. And you have the same thing going on. I will shatter your plan. It will be thwarted. It will not stand, for God is with us. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. So he's saying, look, I have a way. Anyone who wants me, even though all this is going on, you can choose me and walk with me. You are not to say it's a conspiracy in regard to all the people this people call conspiracy. So again, this is going on right now. The people of the world right now are getting all in uproar over um, politically correct. Um, I, I'm trying not to talk about the specific things because that's that's the danger of getting in. Uh, there's always an element of truth of slogans and political politically correct movements. And so if you get into it, you get sucked in and then you get arguing finer points and, and you're just you got sucked into it. It's not what the Lord is doing. 
And it's, this is what it's talking about. You're not to say it's a conspiracy. So, you know, they, you might not hear that word, but that's what people are going, oh, it's, a, you know, it's this, it's a travesty, it's that, we got to change this. He says, you're not to get involved in that. In regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. Pull out of all that. Regard the Lord as holy. It's he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the house of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. And so remember, Jesus, Jesus was a stumbling block, right? So he's saying basically this truth, this way, this God is a stumbling block for people because we can't, no, your way can't be right. I, I, I know these other things. I'm going to go my way. And he's saying that's a stumbling block. It's a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. So those of you who are disciples of the Lord, you can have the testimony. You can have the law sealed in your heart, in your very life. And I will wait for the Lord who is, a, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. So he says the, the Lord pulls away from all those people that call themselves his people. And he's not there for them anymore if they're an unfruitful vineyard. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. So this is very clearly Jesus speaking and Jesus' children. So mostly Jesus is referred to as our brother, but occasionally Jesus is referred to us as a father because it's it's clearly not the father speaking here because... Um, because he says the Lord. So the Lord is God, the Father, and Jesus is the I here. I and the children the Lord has given to me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. So he's saying he's, he's raising up many sons to represent him in the world and bring about this mighty change which he has planned from long ago. And of course, this was written long ago. He says, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? So here, they're, look what they're doing. They're not consulting the Lord. They're consulting mediums and spiritists. And he says, look, turn to me. Stop looking after these other ways for your wisdom and your direction. Turn to me. Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. He says, I've given you the way. Why are you turning to other ways? Turn to me. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no new life. Dawn implies a new day, a new life. We must die to our old life and be born into a new life. If we don't know the law and testimony, we have no new life. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. It's a brutal way to not go this way. It's, it's judgment, it's famine. Then they will look to the earth and behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. I hate uh, ending on a down note, but that, that is promised to everyone that doesn't choose his way. But he does promise, as, we've, as we said up above and earlier, a better way, a holy way, a blessed way, where he provides a land of milk and honey.
So let us choose that way every day. Uh, I love you. God bless you. And may the Lord be with you.